Hey friend, this is Ryan Thomas. We're so blessed and grateful you're listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are quite simply the best and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Today, an edition of Faith Radio's On the Road that is quite truthfully out of this world. We are talking astronauts, the extraordinarily brave men who built the American space program and brought a nation hope and revitalization in the shadow of the Cold War. But at the heart of the story of six men who made history, we'll find a powerful faith in God and an invitation to find what they found. Mr. Justin Camp authors the brand new, one-of-a-kind book, Odyssey. Encounter the God of Heaven and escape the surly bonds of this world. And Justin, it is so great to have you here today. I wanted to start with your memorable diagnosis for the modern man in talking about this message. You say we are experiencing unprecedented levels of angst and anxiety. We're frustrated, stressed, burned out, and bored all at once. And then there's this massive weight of expectation to be perfect on top of everything else. So how did we get here, Justin? Well, let me tell you how I got here because it's, you know, uh, this is, this starts with my story. So I'm kind of on my third career here. Um, I, um, I started out coming out of school, um, in New York city, uh, as a, uh, corporate lawyer working on wall street and, uh, thought that's what I was going to spend my, the rest of my career doing. Um, it was exciting work. My part of the exciting work wasn't so exciting. I was a, you know, a, a young associate who was, you know, kind of correcting commas and things like that. The, the deals we were working on were exciting. I mean, they were sort of front page of the wall street journal, um, type stuff, but, um, and being in New York was great. I grew up in California. So, uh, California in living in Manhattan was, was very exciting. Um, but I started noticing, um, this is a huge change from school to work time. Um, I started noticing this um, kind of discontent or this little sadness on, on a Monday morning, maybe every weekday morning, but especially on a Monday. And I uh, thought, huh, I guess that's just what it means to be a man. You know, was, you know, I was married at that point, and maybe that's just sort of part of life. And um, uh, a few years in, uh, some things conspired so that my wife and I moved back to California. We were thinking about having kids at that point. Our family was back here, and um, at the same time, the internet, um, you know, was uh, was in the uh, exploding out here in Silicon Valley. Of and course. a lot of my friends from New York and other places were heading back to my home to start companies. And I thought, well, I don't want to miss out on that. And so we packed up everything we had and drove back across the country, and uh, you know, got a house here and 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 have been here ever since. Um, part of that move was also a change in career. I thought um, to help address that um, discontent, I would um, change change jobs, and I started um, a venture capital firm investing in high tech companies. You know, real small, uh, you know, t- typical Silicon Valley startups. Yeah. And I did that for fifteen years. And did that do the trick? Was the job change the cure? It did address some of the discontent for a while, but then it started creeping back in. And 10 years in, I was drowning in it, which forced a question of like, what's going on? I mean, culture tells me that this is, an, this is a job that I should love and it should be meeting everything 
that, uh, you know, all of my needs as a, as a dad and as a husband and as a man. And it wasn't. Um, and I mm. think that's really sort of to answer the question. I think that, um, men, women too, but in a different way, but men are sold a bill of goods by culture and it, and, and it goes like, you know, sort of the, if then type thing, if you have the right job, the right accomplishments, the right house and the right neighborhood, then everything will be great. And we fall for it hook, line and sinker. And I certainly did. And so, you know, you fast forward a little bit and from, from, from the time that I started um, both of those careers and I was just drowning in this discontent and I thought, what's going on? You know, um, this promise that was made to me about what is right in the world, what, what things to do with my life. Um, it's coming up empty because I'm, I'm just feeling very empty, you know? And, um, Around that time, uh, I had some good friends who were in a men's group, and they said, um, "Come and come and join us." And I said, "I'm so busy, you know, I, I can't do one more thing." And they said, "I think you need to." And uh, it's so you know, there's an open door whenever you whenever you want to come and join us. And it took me months. I don't know, maybe a year or two that I actually put them off, but finally dragged myself over there. And I remember it was a cold January evening, and I and I went into the conference room where this men's group gathered and uh, sat down and it got rolling and then started opening up and talking about things that I never heard anybody talk about before. They were talking about their struggles, their fears in a real honest way, all the way, you know, nothing held back. Yeah. And it scared me. I mean, people were talking about pornography. They were talking about alcohol. They were talking about things that I just, you know, would never have uh, opened up with and, and been vulnerable with um, uh, and had never in my life. But at this point, instead of bolting for the door, or staying there that night and then never coming back, you make a different decision. So I said you know, to myself, not out loud, okay, Justin, you got a couple of choices here. You can leave and never come back. You can come back, but lie and hide, you know, and pretend like everything's going fine. Like you have been for a long time, or you can come back and, and join the, join what these men in, in, in living in a way that is vulnerable and transparent and uh, I thought, well, that scares the daylights out of me. Um, but I did, and I haven't been out of community since. And wow. it was such a blessing to me. And it was, it was everything that they taught me and showed me and sort of helped me read the scripture in a new way. Um, uh, you know, it was in the face of all those promises that culture makes to us. And it gave me the confidence to say, I'm not going to believe these anymore. I'm going to believe the promises um, of my father, God, I'm going to believe the promises of Jesus and start basing my life on those. And man, it just, it just changed everything for me. And so, um, now, you know, fast forward a few years, um, I felt like that was such a blessing to me in a lot of different ways, identity, um, you know, um, where I'm getting my validation. Um, but, uh, also, you know, as a part of identity, my career. So, at one point they said, you know, whatever you need, you know, I came to a decision point in my career and said, okay, I'm going to either do another venture fund or I'm going to go do something else. And I, and I elicited their advice. And I said, what do you guys think I should be doing? And they said, whatever you do, you need to be writing. Cause I had talked to them about some writing stuff that I had done, I published a business book in 2002. And I thought, well, you're nuts. I can't be living in Silicon Valley and making any money as a writer. And they said, you know, I think you need to not worry about that. And I thought, well, I'm again, that, that gut reaction that I had, I can't make any money as a writer because I knew enough about the publishing, the economics of the publishing business to know that that was true. 
that was again a cultural thing. And so one of those men looked at me and said, I think you need to not worry about it. I think you need to trust God. And, um, and I said, okay, I believed it. For some reason, those words in that moment felt like God speaking to me through another man. And so I came home and, and scared my wife and said, hey, I'm going <laughs> to leave my job. I'm going to leave my job, and, we're, and I'm going to go do this. She had been doing some writing as well. And I said, I think we should join forces and start a nonprofit and write together and uh, you know, be a part of what God's doing in the lives of people who are hurting. And she said, wait, what? And, um, and then about a month, you know, give, I gave her about a month, and she said, I'm totally in. And, uh, and we've been doing that ever since. And that, dis- that, that discontent that I was feeling on a Monday morning, not there anymore. Mm. I just feel excitement about getting getting up and getting going and, and uh, doing you know being a part of what God's up to. Man, so uh, well, it's a it's a great testimony. It's a great story. And Justin Camp uh, with us today on Faith Radio, the author of Odyssey: Encounter the God of Heaven and Escape the Surly Bonds of This World. You wanted to offer something against really this backdrop that you set out. And you've said that you set out to create a message that was new, that was fresh, and that didn't already exist. And you really have here with this book. It takes us to space and back to Silicon Valley, as you've spoken about, to Wall Street, as you've mentioned, and really calls us to find true purpose. How did you form the idea to do this specifically? So there was a period, that's probably about three or four years ago, there was a period of time um, where looking back, I can see that God was inviting me into a journey. And that journey started, it was just a normal Tuesday evening. My wife and I were visiting some folks in Oregon, um, a lovely husband and wife who are kind of prayer warriors, and they were praying for us. And uh, in the midst of uh, you know this prayer, they, they asked a question of me. They, they actually uh, encouraged me to ask a question in prayer, and they said, you know, they said, ask if there are any lies that you're believing about God or about yourself. And I thought, okay, I'll ask that. And I asked, you know, and the first thing that came into my head when I asked that, the first thought that came into my head was me as a 12 year old boy. My mom had just been diagnosed with leukemia. And in my head at that point, I would never have given voice to this, but in that moment in prayer, I saw myself and I was making an, an agreement. I was making a vow that I was loved less by the world, by God, by something. I just felt loved less. My mom was sick. I loved my mom tremendously. And uh, now there's this pronouncement of death on her life. And so I felt like in that moment, I didn't know it at the time, because I just said, well, you know, I want to pray against that. And I did. And I said, I don't believe that I'm loved less. I believe that God loves me just as much as anybody else. And I promptly said, amen, and forgot the prayer. And and turns out that God didn't. Um, And he took me on about a six-month journey. Again, this is like four years ago, something like that. True. Um, and, and to, uh, you know, and he, he kind of destroyed that, that, uh, that lie once and once and for all. And, and in all of it, God was just sort of showing me in, a, in, in, in conversations and experiences um, just how much he loves me, not just how much he loves all humans, sort of me thrown in, um, but how he, how he loves me personally. And it was an extraordinary experience. And I started looking at scripture and saying, Oh, this is a universal thing. I mean, God invites us on journeys all the time. Mr. Justin Camp is with us today on Faith Radio's On the Road. We are talking the new book, Odyssey, and you talk about inviting us into this journey and discovering so much meaning and so much truth. Where do the astronauts come in, my friend? Where did you get the idea to include the tales of these six remarkable gentlemen? 
what better analogy, what better inspiration for sort of the greatest adventure any of us will ever take, which is to go into the wilderness or to go hit the road and to meet God one-on-one, not sort of, you know, hearing of him from other people, secondhand or thirdhand, but actually having a firsthand conversation, a firsthand, her firsthand encounter with God, um, what better, you know, kind of analogy or what better inspiration than the greatest physical adventure man has ever, has ever undertaken, which is, you know, to sit on, on top of 5 million pounds of high explosive and to launch into the thermosphere. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and not only that, some other guys relit the engine, at, you know, once they were in orbit and they went all the way to the moon. Oh, man. So, um, you know, I, I feel like there are great stories in the lives of these men. There's six men, um, from the golden age of, you know, space exploration from the uh, 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Um, but they're all men of faith as well. So their stories are really relatable. So not only are these sort of, you know, these incredible kind of mythic figures um, who had supreme courage, I mean, did what no, no you know, human in their right mind would ever have done. Yeah. Um, but also they were just guys. They were guys struggling with how to do their job well how to be a dad well, how to be a husband well. And they blew it. These guys are blowing it all the time, just like we do. And so, so their stories are really good in different ways. They're just really just like us. And so not only were they, you know, sort of inspiring stories, they were just stories that, that just draw you in and sort of, you know, make you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm facing the same stuff. And if they can do it, I can do it. When you say that, it's sort of hard to imagine how you could feel a relationship with somebody who has the courage to do what you described, to sit on top of that incredible amount of high explosive and, you know, head into space as they do. But I noticed uh, one of your readers talking about the book as well said, you know, that's exactly what this does. It teaches you a lot of history that is fascinating, but it also is incredibly relatable as well. So well done, sir, because I don't think that's a particularly easy thing to do. Well, thank you. I, you know, the, the reception has been good. It was a bet. You know, this kind of book, this is the second in a series called The Wire Series for Men that I'm working on with David C. Cook. And um, the first one was all about identity. And um, it profiled, instead of astronauts, it profiled seven Industrial Revolution era inventors. So <sighs> Thomas Edison and Guillermo Marconi. And, and it was a bet. You know, I'm sitting there going, look, so, you know, I, when I talked to publishers early on about this particular project, um, they said, look, you know, guys are tough, you know, they're, uh, they don't read a ton of books, um, Christian nonfiction books. Yeah. And they don't, and when they do pick one up and they start reading it, they don't typically finish it. And I thought, well, you have the data. I don't have the data. I wasn't looking at the data. They were just telling me this. I don't know if that's true, but to the extent there is some truth in that, I want to create something that kind of goes in the face of that, that counters that. And so build, you know, write something that, uh, you know, is, is, is more engaging than the, than the typical, uh, typical book. Now, my my bookshelf is filled with you know lots of Christian nonfiction, so I don't want to take anything no. away from the great authors out there, amazing authors out there. But I I just felt called to create something a little different, yeah. and uh, I didn't know whether it was going to work. But looking at you know all the feedback that I'm able to get um, from reviews and just talking to men who have read it, it seems to have worked. So I'm encouraged. I feel like it came out of you know some identity again, you know where God built me to do things in a certain way, and, and so that's what I try to do. I was unable to put down the book uh, myself. Uh, the story of John Glenn was one of those that grabbed me because he's a name that so many of us will know, but we may not know 
the story as specifically as you detail it for us in in this micro history really that you provide. The thing that's a bit tough to remember now is just how fearful uh, really the whole country was about the Soviet successes in space when his mission was about to fire. Can you kind of take us back there and set that scene? Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. That's the backdrop uh, behind all of these missions, the Mercury, the Gemini, and the Apollo missions. It was in the context of a ton of fear around the Soviet Union and the space race. I mean, we had visions, you know, um, there, there's, a, there's a quote in the book where um, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but, um, uh, you know, uh, somebody says, you know, we, we uh, you know, we are envisioning, you know, the Russians dropping bombs from us. Um, you know, from these satellites, um, you know, like kids dropping, stu- you know, rocks on a, from an, from an overpass. That was LBJ, right? That was actually that LBJ. That was LBJ. That's right. And so, um, yeah, in classic sort of LBJ kind of, um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of language. Um, you know, I, I think that's what motivated a lot of these guys to take those risks actually, is they saw, they, they felt very called, patriotically called to a, to a, to a struggle, a struggle between what they saw as sort of freedom and, you know, and democracy and capitalism versus communism. And so um, I think there was a ton of fear. There was a ton of fear about, you know, systems and economies, but there was also fear about all out nuclear war. And one thing that Kennedy did, he kind of started this off in the early sixties when he said, we're going to the moon. Um, You know, he said, we want to, we want to make sure that, that space is a place that's safe. We want to claim this for mankind and make sure that we establish uh, space as safe, not a place for warfare. And I think there was there was a lot of fear that uh, if we didn't get there uh, first, that uh, that it, it could be a very dangerous thing. And so um, I, I think these men felt a ton of patriotic duty um, to do that. And that, that gave them the courage to do what they did. Well, when you talk about courage, another word that you use uh, to describe Glenn a number of times is confidence. And he becomes the first American to orbit the Earth in 1962. He does that orbit three times. The technology that took him there was so new and cutting edge, you know, in 1962. I mean, goodness, you know, even even in recent years, we've seen the danger of space travel to this day. So that word confidence, you know, it seems a little bit out of place for what he was doing. But you really say, you know, it was his faith in God that really gave him that confidence. Yeah, I think Glenn is such a great example. Um, and he was, he was the one I wanted to start with. There was no question who, who was the, you know, the man that I thought should open the book. Um, because here's a guy who was a scientist. He was an engineer and he trusted science and engineering very much, you know, enough so that he faced you know, he put himself in a place where he was facing the prospect of death at supersonic speed. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was like a lot of scientists and engineers out there, except for one thing is he had this bedrock of faith. And uh, in the 1960s, there was an article in um, Christianity Today that described that faith as rugged and unshakable. And I think that's really true. Like you see him, um, you know, in a lot of these environments, like the Marine Corps, especially during combat in the Marine Corps. You know, he was a Marine um, uh, aviator and, uh, in both World War II and the Korean War. And, uh, and then in the U.S. Senate later after he went to space. Um, and he's in these places that it's tough to, to maintain your faith. I mean, there's a lot of cynicism in the, in the worlds where he, he operated. 
and he just never wavered, you know? And one of the things that was so interesting, and it's kind of the, it's kind of the, I don't know, maybe the main message of that, of that chapter on Glenn is that um, it's just, it's interesting to see a man who trusts the physical world so much, like, you know, trust science, trust engineering, but Glenn was always trying to look through it and look kind of pierce through it into the spiritual and the supernatural kind of in all moments. Like he would, he talked about, you know, looking at a sunset and just being overcome by the beauty of God in the midst of a sunset, whether he was on the ground or whether he was in orbit, these sunsets were a big deal to him and sunrises. And uh, I feel like that was, that, that was something that kind of came through in every time that he spoke. And he did a lot of speaking as a member of the Senate. He would do guest sermons at the various churches and things like that. He was always looking for what God's up to. Um, he realized, you know, which, you know, which a lot of us kind of forget, even, even, you know, folks that have been in the church for a long time seem to forget is that we are both spiritual and physical beings. You know, when God created us, he took the dirt from the ground or the dust from the ground and breathed his own breath, his, the, the sort of breath of life into us. And so we are like him. He is spirit and we are spirit too, but we're physical. And so we can appreciate kind of two realities, right? The spiritual reality and this physical reality, but we've gotten so intensely focused on things that we can see and hear and touch that we kind of, we kind of try to opt out of the spiritual side. And Glenn didn't do that. And so it just was really inspiring to me. But you actually, you have the beautiful sort of finale to that thought that you recount in the book, which is, I believe this is actually when he's 77 years old and he has the opportunity to go back into space on the space shuttle. But you tell the story of how he looks. And I don't recall if it was a sunset or a sunrise, but he looks at it from space and basically says, I don't know how anybody can look at this and not believe in God. Yeah, yeah, that's it's really interesting. So he was grounded, right? He became an American hero, you know, and, and after his three orbits and Kennedy said this guy's way too power this guy's way too important to the country. We're going to he's not going to space again. <laughs> right. Most of the astronauts did return to space, you know, at least a couple of times. Some, you know, there was a guy who did an endorsement from for this book, um Jerry Ross who went seven times to space, which is which he he holds the record with with a with another astronaut for for most times in space, but Glenn got, got that one shot and that's what he thought he was going to, you know, that was it for him. But then, uh, you know, he did get the, he'd get to ride on the shuttle and he was actually doing that as a, uh, as a live uh, news conference. So they had a bunch of journalists interviewing these astronauts and he got to, got to answer that question about, uh, about God. And, and you know, he said that like, you know, just looking at this grandeur, he was again, seeing God where I think other people, you know, wouldn't, they would see the physical and miss the spiritual yeah. moment. Yeah. Oh, man, there are just uh, so many great threads uh, to follow here. But our time swiftly saying farewell, maybe a moment for a final question in just a second. But we don't want to go anywhere without saying if we want to learn more about you, if we want to grab a copy of Odyssey, encounter the God of heaven and escape the surly bonds of this world, where should we start the journey, sir? So the books um, uh, are all available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and ChristianBook.com, all the places that sell uh, sell Christian books. Um, but the the best place to kind of get started for um, for all the stuff that Jennifer and I create now uh, is is at GatherMinistries.com. So Gather Ministries is our nonprofit. Uh, both my wife and I are writers. We a lot of the stuff that we create it we give give away for free. We do some podcasts and some weekly devotionals. Uh, both, you know, devotionals for men and devotionals for women. We have some playlists for folks that, you know, are looking for, um, you know, kind of good, 
good worship music and you know um, up to date uh you know that we, we we constantly update these these uh these lists and curate these lists so there's a lot of resources for for men and women on uh, at gatherministries.com and you can get to our books that way as well so that's a good place to start this is a totally unfair question to end with because there's only two minutes left and obviously there's so much more to be said about it but one of the hearts that you clearly have is to say to men who hear from society that I have to be perfect. You know, I have to be perfect to be a follower of God. And I'm not perfect. I know that I'm not. You really offer hope to that individual. And part of that is the story of the astronaut Gordon Cooper. I know we don't have enough time to fully explain that, but maybe give us a Cliff Notes version of how you'd respond. Yeah. So, I mean, Gordon, um, you know, he was the only one that you could put in that chapter because he was, he was a man who knew his brokenness. He was very public about his brokenness, mostly about his infidelity, his marriage infidelity. But he was a man who, again, did a bunch of sermons. And when he would talk, he would always remind everybody that we are human and we blow it and God loves us nonetheless. And we can hear that in scripture and it's really hard to believe it. So that entire chapter on Gordon Cooper is my best attempt to, um, to, you know, convince men and to share my testimony, you know, around the fact that God knows we're going to blow it. He knows that we're going to rebel. He always did. He stands in eternity. He sees everything, right? He's not governed by time like we are. And so he knew, he always knew we were going to blow it and he loves us, um, you know, the same, no matter what, like, you know, people say there's nothing we can do to make him love us more. And there's nothing he can, we can do to make him love us less. And that's a really important point that, that, you know, we need to internalize and live out of. Man, you brought that home in less than two minutes, sir. That was uh, extremely (laughs) impressive. Justin Camp, the author of Odyssey, thank you so much for your time, brother. We really appreciate you. Oh, Ryan, thank you for having me on. I'm a fan, and uh, it's just been a pleasure being with you. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks so much for listening to On the Road. Programming like this happens because of your incredible support. You can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. And we'd be so glad to connect with you during the week on social media. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at OnTheRoadRyan. Until next time, God bless you, my friend.